as he passed before Moses and showed him his covenant love and steadfast mercy. That's, that's what we were aiming at. So the main point of Hebrews is going to parallel the main point under Moses, isn't it? And Hebrews 9, 23, uh, 26 through 28, parallels Exodus 32, 30, and 32, which is the sacrifice. But the main point now, at which the author of Hebrews is striving, is not the earthly ministry of Jesus in the past, but the heavenly ministry of Jesus in the present and into the future. Look at Hebrews 8.1. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, the true tent, that the Lord set up and not man. And so what I want you to see, and this is going to track back on to what we looked at in Genesis 2, and what was typified in Exodus 32 through 34, what we have in Hebrews 8, 2, 8, 1 and 2, is the heavenly high priesthood of Christ. And so you have the heavens, something that starts to kind of cohere for what we were looking at in Genesis. Now that we're coming on the other side, I think it will. Jesus, you, you, have, you have the visible heavens, you have the visible earth. I guess visible earth is isn't it? I'm sorry. Um, it's after lunch. <laughs> but visible earth. And where is the cross when we were looking at Hebrews 9? Where is the cross? Right there in the visible earth. Jesus was crucified at Golgotha on earth. The atonement theology in Hebrews brings into view what we're going to call the past earthly ministry of Christ. Hebrews 8, 1 and 2 brings into view the present heavenly priestly ministry of Christ. And the author of Hebrews... Uh, just, I'm going to ask you, and you tell me if you see it coming. The author of Hebrews does not say that Kephalion, the main point, the central point of Hebrews theology, it is not the past historical, earthly sacrifice of Christ, although you heard how highly we must um, value it, right? No hope without it. But it itself is a means to an end, is it not? The means to an end. And that means to the end is basically this, that in his earthly ministry, by expiating sin, propitiating wrath, 
and purifying the people to himself, Jesus is preparing them to ascend the mountain where he ever lives at the right hand of God. So what drives the theology of the book of Hebrews is what gives it its fundamental eschatological perspective is the death of Christ for sure, yes, because it's once at the end of the age to put away sin. The eschatological judgment of God, remember, I'm going to come from a different angle, this goes over here. Well, that's consistent. Remember that wrath that is held in advance until the mercy uh, of Christ. That wrath has intruded into Christ, uh, upon Christ and his cross. And as critical as that is, it is the means to the end of his what? Resurrection, ascension, and entrance into the right hand, to sit at the right hand of God. Hebrews uh, 8, uh, 1 and 2, and Hebrews 1, 3, and then Hebrews 10, 11 through 12. They make the same point. Now, that's the, the, the central point. And so, the main point, the controlling concern, is not the past <coughs> earthly, but the present heavenly. That's the main point. And what I want you to see there, and I'll just make these points in, um, in order. High priest. See, we have such a high priest. What does a high priest do? <coughs> he represents men and women. He represents the church in the presence of God. That's what the high priest does. <coughs> Secondly, we have not only a high priest, but he is seated at the right hand of God. You see that? What is that? What does it mean? Well, if he's seated at the right hand of God, and the Father is a person, a divine person, eternal person, the Son is a divine person, eternal person, and the Holy Spirit is a divine person, eternal person, what does it mean for Jesus to sit at the right hand of God? It means for Jesus, as ascended, he has permanent, perfect, face-to-face -face fellowship with the Father by the Spirit <coughs> in heaven. That's what your Messiah has. <coughs> and, and his sitting now at the right hand of God, the idea of permanency, a lot of times you'll hear this, that his sitting means it is finished. His earthly ministry is finished. Amen. Yes. But it also means and conveys something else. Let me ask you this. We're going to see this difference. I'm going to try to do it in two hours. We've got two hours. And we'll see what the Lord does with it. But here's, here's the thing. How long was Moses on the mountain on earth as he talked to God? Forty days. And then what did he have to do? Long walk, right? To, to turn away from him. And he didn't see what? He didn't see the face of God. 
Because the Lord told him, you cannot see my face and live. For Jesus to rise and sit at the right hand of God means at least these two things. He has permanent and perfect face-to-face -face fellowship with the Father by the Spirit's power. Permanent and perfect face-to-face -face fellowship with the Father in heaven. And the only thing that will bring him away from that is as he rises and descends to bring his people where he is. In other words, he will never, ever leave that presence. So, so, uh, so what, what you have here in A2 uh, with being seated, it's a metaphor or an image that brings into the view the permanence and the perfection of what? Being face to face with the Father and the Spirit as what? As a high priest. Right? So he's there to confer on you what he has. What is that? The Hebrews 10, 19 is a great way to put it. Access to God. Access to God only through Jesus. But then there's a really interesting term in 8 um, 1 that I want you to look at with me. I want you to think about it. Uh, beginning in verse 2. <clears throat> he's, a, he's a priest, a high priest, seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. And he's what? Look at the next one. He's a minister. You know what a minister is? You know what a minister is. You have a wonderful minister. There are other wonderful ministers in our midst here. A minister is a servant. That's all he is. That's what a minister is. The greatest among you will be one. Your servant. Who is the greatest among us? <coughs> the Lord Jesus Christ. He is a minister who is serving in heaven. Now, a lot of times, if you don't have this Adam, Moses, mountain of God, Mount Sinai background, I know that you can sit there and scratch what little hair I would have, scratch your head and say, what does that mean? Think. Think for a second. If Jesus is a high priest, seated at the right hand of God, and if he is a Melchizedekian high priest who is like Moses but vastly supersedes him, what is he doing in heaven? What is, what is his ministry? Well, let me just put it in, in the broadest terms and then we'll get down to details. But he's in a realm that we call heaven. Remember that? The highest heavens. Genesis 1, 1, Nehemiah 9, 6, um, uh, Isaiah 6, 1 through 3. And there's a, oh, and there's a great text in Jeremiah. Um, I, this morning when I woke up, I remembered it. Um, may I read it to you? <laughs> I love this. I think. Um, pray you do. I do. Jeremiah 17, 12. Read this now in light of Christ, okay? 
This is beautiful. A glorious throne set on high from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. Oh, you see? Well, it is, isn't it? You know why? Because our high priest and minister in heaven is seated there. And what is he doing? You and I, united to him, I've got my feet on Amarillo soil or carpet and concrete and some soil outside. And right now, our Savior is sitting at the right hand of God in the highest heavens. Think with me what the logic of his service in heaven could be. What could it possibly be? He will not stop serving until he brings you and me, takes our feet off this ground, and raises us up into his presence where we will be with him forever. The author of Hebrews is telling you that Jesus high priestly ministry as he is seated at the right hand of God is a ministry an ongoing ministry that seeks to bring a people where he is in the flesh body and soul raised up to behold his Lord. Now the, the compounding issue then is is, is this, and I am still trying to figure out how much I'm going to get into this. What is our present situation from what I said earlier? Do you remember when I said Eden was the probation ground prior to the fall? What's the probation ground or the testing arena? Because we're beyond probation. We're not like Adam and Eve. We're beyond probation. But we're being tested as those joined inseparably to Christ. <coughs> What, what, where are we? We're in the wilderness, right? So the logic of Hebrews 8, 1 and 2, as I'm going to try to open it up and look at a few other texts, is this. That Jesus serves in heaven. And his service is directly related to delivering his church out. That's why the, the language of a high priest in heaven is so critical. Now, just in light of that, I'd like to give you a verse that encapsulates the theology of Jesus' high priestly ministry in a single uh, phrase. And if you'll look at Hebrews 7.25, you'll catch the logic of it. It'll be instant. You'll see it, I think, in an instant. Listen to this. When we're talking about the um, high priestly ministry of Jesus in heaven, listen to this. Hebrews 7, 25. Oh, let, let me read from 23 and 24. Okay. <clears throat> the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. Listen. He holds his priesthood Permanently, because he continues forever. Now just pause right there. What does that mean? Here's what it means. He's been raised never to die again. And he has been, he has been raised permanently to sit at the Father's right hand. 
He will not cease to be as the resurrected and ascended Melchizedekian high priest. That's 724 is a kind of synopsis of what 8, 1, and 2 expand on. Now, look at the consequence. Consequently, verse 25, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him because he always lives to make intercession for him. For them. What does it mean? You already know this. I know you already know this. We've got it. What does it. What could it possibly mean to be saved to the uttermost? Well, it means that this whole realm. I'm going to color code it all over the place. What, what is this realm?
See, that's that's what the logic of Hebrews is all about. And that what that means then, and this is going to change us. Well, you guys are already changed. Um, but, but but if you're thinking in terms of standard garden variety evangelicalism, which is not what we are, we're reforming, I know that. But what do you hear? I, I, I try to listen to the church channel. And my drive starter. And um, TBN. Yeah, TBN. And then I try to listen to popular evangelical radio. Not when I'm at like peak times of efficiency, but like at night, I'll just turn it on and try to see what they do. And I guess the church channel TV, and that's a different thing. I should leave them out of it. Because those are the people that think they're God and and that God exists to give them money. But but evangelicals who are conservative and otherwise Bible believing, you know what they almost always tell you your whole Christian life is about? Well, it's down two different things. One of the the atonement of Jesus, where your sins are canceled, or justification by faith in Jesus, where you're forgiven. Now think about that one for just a second. Does anyone here want to deny Hebrews 9, 26 through 28? And and if we were if it were October and we're doing a Reformation conference, I'd be talking about how important justification by faith is for the Christian life. <laughs> Huge, right? Just no hope without it. Praise the Lord for it. But let me ask you this. If you think this way, <laughs> isn't there something a little bit more glorious than that? You see it? It gets opened up, see, so that whatever Jesus has done in the past that bears on your justification, as glorious as it is, your the atonement of Jesus and your justification in Jesus are means to the higher end of fellowship with the ascended Christ where he is at the right hand of God. That's the core. If you're trying to get your anchor to drop somewhere and you're saying, what's my Bible all about? Go there. That's what it's about. And so, so what, what we have to recognize then is that saving to the uttermost means being brought into the closest conceivable proximity to God in heaven <coughs> through Christ. Close and never to leave. That's, that's, what, that's what this is. And so, notice this. Notice the parallels with Moses. And, and this is critical. And this is why we are Christ-centered by have you noticed that so far, I've talked a little bit about you, but who are we talking about? Tell me if you hear this echo. Moses first comes face to face with God in the tent of meeting. Jesus first comes face to face with God in heaven. Moses first converses with God as friend to friend while on earth in the tent of meeting. Jesus first converses with God as friend to friend in heaven as ascended. Moses first sees the glory of God. 33, 12 through 23. Jesus is the glory 
as he sees the Father and the Spirit. Moses first receives the covenant that gives God's presence and his law that specifies the terms of communion with God. Jesus is that reality and confers it on you, but it is first his before it is yours. You see? One last way of putting it. Moses first bears the glory of the Lord in his countenance, which is the residue of his communion with God on Mount Sinai. Jesus first bears the glory of being in God's presence, and he now confers on you glory. Hebrews 2.10. Jesus is bringing many sons Glory that consists fellowship with God on a mountain. And I'll tell you what's so beautiful about it. No one ever will disrupt this community. No thief will enter in and steal. No serpent will enter in and tempt. No moth will enter in and corrupt. No rust will enter in and corrode. The communion that belongs to the church in Christ as he sits at the right hand of God is a communion that is absolutely, categorically, without qualification, unbreachable in its fullness and glory and access to God. That, you see, that is what Jesus brings that makes Moses, as much as we love him, you see? I mean, just a couple of hours ago, you thought, Moses, is, that's just wonderful. But, but you see how, how paling, by contrast, that life is? By the way, I should say this to you. Um, this is why in 2 Corinthians 3, this is just an aside. I'm only going to talk about this for 120 seconds. Is <laughs> that in, um, in 2 Corinthians 3, when Paul says, that the ministry under the letter brought glory. In 2 Corinthians 3, 10, and 11, he says, what once had glory now has no glory. In light of the surpassing glory in Christ, who is the Spirit, he's saying what we've already seen. Paul's point in 2 Corinthians 3, is perfectly parallel to Hebrews. That was less than 127. So we're, we're going we're gonna to be finishing sooner than I thought. Um, but now, now let, let me say this. This is a, this is a concept that will help. Um, Hebrews 6.20. Let me try to... Do you remember when I was telling you... Now we're going to talk about us a little bit. See, it's Christ first... And then you who are in Christ. That's the logic as it is from the beginning. <laughs> Christ first. And then you who are in Christ. That, the, the text that's so helpful along these lines, and there are a few others, but it's the, the term quadramas, or in Hebrew, it's for running. You already know this, don't you? If you, if you know, this is why Jesus says to the Pharisees, 
that he might bring many Tell you the best analogy for Paul that I can think of. 1 Corinthians 15, 20, when Jesus rises, he is aparte or first fruits. In the Old Testament, when a harvest was dedicated to God, the first fruits were the first or primal representative portion of what we call right? So the whole harvest was consecrated to God when the first fruits were offered. The first fruits encompass and bring in its wake the whole harvest that follows. So to consecrate the first fruits to God was to consecrate all that would follow in that harvest. Well, listen. Jesus is the first fruits, 1 Corinthians 15, 20 of one great resurrection harvest that includes all of the elect in the whole household of God, Old and New Covenant alike. His resurrection from the dead is the beginning of the resurrection of the church that is in Him. Ordained from all eternity, predestinarian union, dies and rises in and with Him, past historical union, and by the Spirit through faith, is joined to him in an inseparable bond by the Spirit and through faith. He rises as the first fruits, Paul. He rises and ascends as the forerunner, Hebrews. He goes, and where he goes, his people follow. It's the inexorable logic of being united to a heavenly high priest who is a forerunner in the order of what? Now I want to tell you this. This is just a side note. And if you want to read the best things that have ever been written on it, find Boss and Gaffin. And Boss uh, and Shorty writings, Gaffin in a couple of places. Uh, the uh, Preston for the Mark, I say is very good. But let me let me tell you something. Do you see that verb there? Um, 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 having become a high priest. Okay, this is just an aside, but I want you to, to, to grasp this and appreciate it. The author of Hebrews is so concerned that we understand the priority of this. Right? This. That he uses a term, a verb, um, that brings into view Jesus becoming a high priest when he ascends. Now, I don't want to confuse you because he was a high priest on earth. Right? No, no debate there. He atoned for sin, put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Let me tell you something. As long as Jesus' body lay in the grave, where was he not in his humanity? With regard to his body, where was he not? Let me put it this way. For about three days, or three days exactly, for three days exactly, Jesus' body was under the ground of the wilderness. You ever thought of that? See, our feet are on the wilderness, but if I die, it's out of the wall. If the Lord doesn't return, where's my body going to be placed? Yeah, under the wilderness. Because I was once on it, and I placed under it. Jesus, in his death, for three days, 
his body was under the wilderness in a homogenous relationship to all of the other dead bodies of his people. But his ascension, this is the verbal motion here in 620, his ascension is such that he became a high priest in the order of Melchizedek and he rose and ascended and had the power of resurrection life that is in this So his, his, his ascension marks a new phase of his messianic and Melchizedekian priesthood. And what is it? It's no longer an earthly ministry climaxing on a cross. It is a heavenly ministry that endures forever and he goes as a forerunner for you having become a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. <coughs> he is there to bring you where he is. So, in John 14, 1-2 is helpful here too. What does Jesus say? In my Father's house are many mansions, many rooms. And I go to do what? This is Jesus' teaching. And he says, I do it for this reason. So that where I am bodily, you may be bodily. Being bodily present with the ascended Christ Coming to a home prepared for you from the foundation of the world and then entered into that glorious heavenly sanctuary, entered into by the ascended Christ. He prepares that place for you so that where I am, he says, you might be. That's Jesus' teaching that parallels Paul's teaching of the first fruits. It's Jesus' teaching that parallels the author of Hebrews' teaching with Christ's forerunner. Do you see how the concepts are the same, though the language is different? Do you see that? So, so perhaps then these phrases, forerunner, first fruits, preparing a place for you in my Father's house, those are what it means to be saved to the uttermost. That is why Jesus is a minister in heaven on your behalf. Now, <clears throat> this is going to be a quite a challenge here. Now we need to talk, and I, I may just give you a break here in a second, just a quick one. But now we need to talk about this question. How is Jesus bringing you where he is? You see the logic of the question? I've told you that he is. I've told you your only hope is that he is doing this. I've told you that he's a forerunner. I've told you he's first fruits. told you he's building a place for you. I've told you he's a high priest in heaven, seated at the right hand of God, and he's ministering with the specific purpose of bringing you where he is. Now, the question is what is the order of this movement? What is the order? of the movement. How is it happening? 
to know that, you've got to come back and find us. <laughs> <laughs> Any announcements? Yeah, do a quick look. I'm actually running the restroom, and, and when I get back, I'll probably go. So let's, we, is it possible to consider this a mini break? Like a, <laughs> a mini bar? <laughs> 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 a mini bar. <laughs> 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 <laughs>